Good afternoon to you wherever you may be, however you may be listening. This is indeed the Shukri Wright Show on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford, Tusk Reform Radio, streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app and globally on WMFO.org. Wherever you may be, however you may be listening, thank you for making this show part of your Saturday afternoon on a chilly day. Goodbye, summer. Hello, fall. I don't know about you, but I am happy to say good riddance to summer and bring on a new season full of new opportunities, full of growth, and full of possibilities of what is to come. I usually start off the show in a really good mood, but today's show, I'm in a really bad mood. I'm in a really particularly bad mood because of the Boston Celtics. And this entire segment is going to be dedicated to really airing out exactly how I feel about these Boston Celtics right about now. As it currently stands, they are currently down two games to done to the Miami Heat with game three of the Eastern Conference Finals tonight at 8.30 on ESPN. Normally, I would be a bit more positive, a bit more optimistic, but today, no. I I don't feel a bit optimistic or even remotely a bit cheerful when it comes to these Boston Celtics. I'm going to first start off and say this. Dear Brad Stevens, dear Boston Celtics, What the hell have we been watching the last two games? I want someone in the city of Boston. I want someone in New England to explain to me what the hell have we been watching the last two games? Because I have no words. I have no words at all. Because going into game two, I was at a point where I said, you know what? Game one, okay. They blew a 14-point lead. And I'm going to get back to game one in just in just a moment because I'm going to talk about both games. So with all that being said, I thought game one, okay, they blew a 14-point lead. It can't possibly get worse. Right? It can't possibly get worse. So I thought the Celtics would come out, play with a, a bit more urgency, a bit more fire, a bit more tenacity, a bit more, you know, pizzazz in their game. Like like someone has lit a fire beneath their arses. All of those things. They do. They raced out to a 17-point lead, and you're thinking, game's over. Right? Game's over. Somehow, someway, even with Kimmel Walker struggles offensively, game's over. Nope. Oh, we blew a 14-point lead in game one? Hold my beer. Hold my beer. Let's blow a 17-point lead in this one. And then you see the likes of Tyler Hero, Bam Adebayo, 
And and on top of that, Jimmy Butler, who I am beginning to really like even more as a player, rise to the occasion and just went to work, chipping away at that 17-point lead, chipping away like a relentless construction worker, chipping away at rocks, chipping away at granite, laying down the cement, which, by the way, they did <laughs> late in that fourth quarter. No overtime needed. And yet somehow, someway, the Boston Celtics find themselves trailing late in the fourth quarter. They not only lose the game, but here's the bigger story, ladies and gentlemen. Gary Washburn of the Boston Globe tweets out, there seems to be palpable yelling in the Celtics locker room after the game. Marcus Mark walks out the locker room and goes down to the bathroom. And perhaps there is still more yelling in the Celtics locker room. Oh, so we're screaming at each other now. We're pointing fingers. Is that what we're doing? Because may I remind you, ladies and gentlemen, the path to a championship is never supposed to be easy. Who on earth said it was going to be easy? I like to know. I like to know who said that the path to an NBA title was going to be easy and that it was going to be a smooth cakewalk and that you won't be tested along the way. Here's the problem that I, that I have, ladies and gentlemen, with this current concoction of the Boston Celtics. That whenever there is some sort of adversity, they begin to point fingers. They begin to wilt. And you've already seen it this this postseason so far. Go back to the Toronto series. You're up by two points with half a second left. And then... The impossible pass from Kyle Lowry to OG Anunoby, and he gets off that shot with half a second, and it goes in and it counts. What happens? They win game three on an absolute heartbreaker of a loss. You lose game four, and then you win game five, and then you lose game six. Yes, you win game seven, but the fact of the matter is this. When there's a sign of trouble, when there's a sign of turbulence, when there's a sign of something not going your way, there's a serious element of mental weakness with this team that I don't like. I don't know about you, but the fact that there's a report that came out in which Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown had to be broken up. Luckily, they never came to fist the cuffs after the game because of a shouting match between teammates in the locker room. What does that tell you? That tells me that there's a problem. There is a legitimate problem with this team. I don't know what it is, but let's take the time here today, ladies and gentlemen, to actually pick them apart. Because I am annoyed. I am a bit pissed. I'm a little bit pissed off. No, I'm lying. I'm very pissed off with this Boston Celtics team. 
And part of the perks of doing a weekly radio show is that a lot of things happen between the last time we were on a week ago and now. So a lot has changed. Of course, the Celtics, you know, advanced to the Eastern Conference Finals, beating, beating Toronto. And now facing a Miami team who I knew going into it was going to absolutely be a dogfight. There was no getting around it. There was no getting around the fact that this was a team, and I mean an absolute team, that are a bunch of dogs. Underdogs? Do I, should I remind you of that a lot of these guys in the Miami Heat were either undrafted or taken late in the NBA draft? Tyler Hero, Kelly Olenek, Jay Crowder, Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler. I mean, should I go on and on? Because frankly put, I mean, they this is a team that has gone what eight and one through the first two rounds, and now they're right now they're ten and one in these playoffs so far, and there's a reason why. There's a legitimate sense of mental toughness that you see with this Miami Heat team that you're not seeing with the Boston Celtics. And I have to look at this core group very seriously. Because, ladies and gentlemen, I want to ask a very serious and very critical question here. The question is this. Do you think this is a trait or do you think this is just a rough stretch for the Boston Celtics in which that they have not looked very good? In fact, they've lost four of the last six games going into game three tonight. But I have an even more concern. When you look at the core group of young players like Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, do you think there is something wrong with this core group? I'm not talking offensively. I'm talking in terms of mental toughness. Because we have seen this team wilt in big moments before. May I remind you of Game 7 of the 2018 Eastern Conference Finals against LeBron James-led Cleveland Cavaliers? Right, when you were up by 12 in that Game 7, seemingly in the driver's seat and somehow some way you not only you blew that 12 point lead and that was while you still had Terry Rozier that was still while you had Jay Crowder and you blew that lead and you couldn't hold it together and this is also by the way the same season in which Kyrie Irving was injured and missed the remainder of the playoffs. Gordon Hayward had that gruesome injury in, on opening night of the 2017-2018 season. But the fact of the matter is this. This is a, a young core that has gone on deep playoff runs. This is the third Eastern Conference Final in four years. And somehow, some way, 
they can't seem to elevate their game where they need it most. Which is why I don't feel very comfortable in saying that the Celtics have a fighter's chance to come back and win this series. I know mathematically it's not over. They're down 0-2 and it's possible to come back from 0-2 down to win the series. But damn. In game three, I hope that somehow, some way, that there's some sort of switch that the Celtics are able to turn up and turn on. Because if they don't, they, they, they really will be over. But for some reason, after game two's, game two's loss on Thursday night, I really began to feel that this series, this series might be done. Because that mental toughness isn't there. And I hate to break it to you, Celtics fans. I really am at a point where I really want to ask Brad Stevens this one question. What's up with the mental toughness of this team? What's up with the mental fortitude with this team? And I said at the beginning of this series that they can't shoot poorly from downtown and think they're going to win this series. It's just not going to happen. That needed to change and that needed to improve. And bluntly put, what needs to change is that they need to stop blowing double-digit leads. Stop blowing leads with 14 points of 17 points and thinking that you're going to win the series that way. Now, you're already given a dangerous Miami Heat team even more confidence to say, oh, we can be down by double-digit points and we can still come back and win the game. But I don't like the fact that there's a sense of entitlement with these guys. I see this sense of entitlement. And frankly, it pisses me off. Like, where where do these guys get this sense of entitlement from? Jalen Brown in particular. Remember that whole comment about, oh, we're going to win multiple titles? Oh, we're going to, you know, get to multiple NBA finals appearances and so forth. Remember all of that? Yeah, I do. Remember how, you know, like Marcus Smart, and Marcus Smart, I, I love the fact that he brings a great deal of energy and so forth every night. I love it. But the number one problem that I have is this with Marcus Smart. There's no sense of accountability with him. You can't turn around and score four, three, five three-pointers in a quarter. And all is well in the world. But when you play like complete absolute garbage. Like you did in game two. And want to point fingers and say. Y'all on that BS. Because that was the quote. Y'all are on that BS. That's not leadership. That's not accountability. You got to take the good with the bad. And that is being accountable when you screw up. When you don't play well and you play like complete garbage. Not only when, when you play well and you and you want all the praise, but when things go south, your true colors come out, right? Because we've seen this now way too many times. When Kyrie Irving and Al Horford left, I want to be blunt and say this very, very clear. 
that I begin to wonder, well, in Kyrie's case, good riddance. But in Al Horford, that was the most telling. That there is something about this young core that didn't sit well with Al Horford. And perhaps being the quiet-natured individual that he is, he said, you know what? I'm not going to put it out into the media. I'm just going to leave and take my talents elsewhere. Oh, Philadelphia. Oh, that, that cesspool of an organization that can't, seem, that can't seem to get over the hump because they constantly underachieve. Yeah, that, that cesspool and that dumpster fire, Philadelphia 76ers. I thought then that there must be something off about this core group. Kimball Walker. Love the guy, love the positivity that he brings to the group and so forth. But but for goodness sakes, someone needs to say that, yo, step up. If he's hurt, then you shouldn't be on the floor. Yes, I give him credit for for wanting to play while hurt. But here's the problem. Here is the problem. You become an absolute liability offensively because you have been so bad in the last, what, five games offensively? That fortunately, the Celtics have been able to advance to the conference finals in spite of your offensive struggles. I'm not feeling very good about this team. And a lot of it has to do with mental toughness. Game three of the Eastern Conference Finals is tonight at 8.30 on ESPN between the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. And right now, I'm not feeling too high about this team. I'm really not. Based on what I've seen the first two games, no. You're up 85-71 to 71 at the end of the third quarter in game one, and you can't even finish out. And then the worst part is this. There was a stat called crunch time. In which, basically, you have a five. I think you have a, have a minimum five point lead. With inside of I think what two or three minutes remaining in the game, Celtics have a losing record in these playoffs so far in crunch time. That in itself should actually worry you and concern you a great deal because it because I'm concerned. They have shown multiple instances this off this postseason so far that they don't have the ability to close out games and to really pull out and pull ahead when the game is close. And that should concern you, Celtics Nation, especially going into game three. Coming up next, this is going to be a heartfelt message to Joe Buck. And this is warranted. I rarely do this, but this is specifically warranted for Joe Buck. So stay tuned for that and much more coming up on the Shooting Right Show on 91.5 FM, WMFO, Medford. This is Shooting Right. You are listening to 91.5 FM, WMFO in Medford, streaming nationwide on the TuneIn radio app and globally on WMFO.org.
I always look forward to Rosano Radio on WMFO Medford 91.5 FM. Bringing you the hottest tracks from around the globe. From around the globe. I always look forward to Rosano Radio. With your host, FR, 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 Mondays at 10 a.m. Sano Radio on WMFO Medford 91.5 FM and live worldwide at WMFO.org. Mondays at 10 a.m. Rosano Radio, only here on WMFO. A social distancing tip. Keeping your distance from others is important in slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are some fun things to do alone. Read a book, take a walk, unpack your suitcase from that trip you took last September, paint a self-portrait, catch up on a TV series, do a puzzle. Remember, we should all stay home to lower the risk for everyone. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council.
Welcome back to the Shukri Wright Show on 91.5 FM, WMFO and Medford Tusk Free Farm Radio, streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app and globally on WMFO.org. And we are continuing with the show as we started off the show talking about the Boston Celtics and the reason why I started off the show really pissed off. And now I'm shifting gears to a topic, or should I say a broadcaster, who is extremely near and dear to my heart. And that is Joe Buck. Joe Buck has been calling games for Fox Sports since 1994. He is the son of the late legendary broadcaster Jack Buck. Now, an older generation may remember Jack Buck for his work on national television, working NFL games, as well as especially, especially to St. Louis as he was the longtime voice of the St. Louis Cardinals And his son, Joe Buck, was just recently, as Thursday night, named to the Pro Football Hall of Fame as he was awarded the Pete Rozelle Award. Now, the Pete Rozelle Award is given to one who has made outstanding contributions in broadcasting on radio or television in NFL. Now, this was the moment that Joe Buck found out at halftime he was being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame as an NFL broadcaster. Take a listen. Troy and Joe, I want to thank you for all you do for the game. Joe, I know your dad would be very proud that you're following in his footsteps because tonight we're announcing that you are the recipient of this year's Pete Rozelle Award for 2020 making the Bucks the first father and son to ever do so. Congratulations, Joe. Welcome to Canton. Joe Buck's journey to becoming this year's Pete Rizzell Award recipient began in 1994 at age 25, when he became the youngest man ever to announce a regular slate of NFL games on network television for Fox Sports. His career took off two years later when he called his first World Series and continued its rise in 2002 when he became the top play-by-play voice for Fox's NFL games. Now entering his 19th season with Troy Aikman, Joe and Troy are the second longest lead NFL announcing team of all time. This amazing record of sustained excellence stands out even more when you consider that Joe has been the lead play-by-play voice of baseball and the World Series for 25 years. Joe joins his father, Jack Buck, as the first father and son team to be honored with this prestigious award. Joe's call of the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl victory last season was not only 50 years since the Chiefs had won in Super Bowl IV, but that game was the only Super Bowl his father, Jack, ever broadcast on television. Joe Buck is truly one of the greats, and he also represents the Hall's mission to honor the heroes of the game, preserve its history, promote its values, and celebrate excellence everywhere. Joe, your football broadcasting legacy will forever be at the most inspiring place on earth, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I am proud to call you a lifelong friend. Congrats, buddy. Congratulations, man. We're going to get you a gold jacket. Congratulations. Oh well deserved. God. I, I don't even know what to say. It's like, oh. I feel like, what? 
that's unbelievable. And, and my God, thank you. That's I've awesome. Been, man, I'm sitting here watching that video, and I'm, I'm thankful that Paul was a part of that. But how lucky I've been to be with you all these years, our 19th year together, and Richie Zients, our phenomenal producer, and uh, Artie Kemner, first director, Rich Russo, now our director, and... Steve Horn, who makes me sound a hell of a lot smarter than I actually am. <laughs> this yeah. is this is not even work. I I just cannot. Wow, yeah, I, I'm just stunned. I don't get emotional like I did when Jimmy got announced. Oh. That's all. That's awesome. Thanks, brother. Well earned. I'm lucky to be able to stand next to a great friend, <laughs> one of my best. Oh, okay. Well, uh, what a night. Absolutely blown away and honored. Hi, Dad. Also honored to follow in that man's footsteps. Great announcer, better man. And I miss him. Thank you. That clip was courtesy of Fox Sports. Originally aired on NFL Network's Thursday night broadcast of Thursday night football between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns. And, I mean, when I saw this live, my first thoughts were, wow. I I need to I need to hear this because number one, I have been a fan of Joe Buck for more than twenty years. Now my earliest memory of him is calling the nineteen ninety eight World Series between the Yankees and Padres, especially that season, that magical ninety eight season for Major League Baseball, and as well as the nineteen ninety eight Yankees, in which that they are the greatest team in Major League Baseball history, in which that. You know, I didn't really begin to really appreciate him more until I began to get a little older, um, especially a 2001 World Series, considering uh, under the absolute difficult circumstances that was, you know, with 9-11 happening and the backdrop of the World Series being in New York, um, well, what the Yankees were, make, were still in, in the midst of making their run as well, Um and as well as just nationally um, doing NFL games um, on Fox. And the thing for me that that brought me the absolute most joy is that this is someone who I have been a long-time fan of his, and I have absolutely admired the work that he's done on television, even in spite of the critics and the haters that are out there. Now, I've had people say that, oh, he hates my team. Screw him. Screw him. Um, and, you you know, he, he's heard the criticisms too. But that couldn't be further from the truth. And I think that people have to understand is that when you're, when you're doing national television work or radio work, you can't be rooting for a team. You can't have a rooting interest. You have to be very impartial, and I think people don't really understand that. And I don't, don't think it comes across as him being disinterested in the game, but rather his priority is to inform in that and that Brian Anderson really said it best. And I had the chance to interview him on my podcast several months ago. On the Shuka Rights Podcast, which you can find on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Google Play now, Spotify, and Anchor, in which that he mentioned, he talked about the difference between doing local 
and national. And, and one of the things that he mentioned was that national, you're rooting for excellence regardless of either side. And that you're not rooting for for like the local like product as you would as if you were doing, you know, like doing a local television broadcast. But when you're doing local, your job is to upsell the local team to the local market. That's your job and so forth. So for me, with Joe Buck, him getting this award, this is long overdue. Well, 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 well overdue. And I am genuinely so happy for him. I'm genuinely so excited that he's finally getting the recognition after so many years of hard work and the work that he's put in. And I could hear and feel the emotions when he saw the graphic and the photos of him and his dad and his late dad, Jack Buck, who said, who sadly passed away in June 2002. And... I can tell you that I one thing that I remember most about that is is that like when Jack Buck passed away it really left a major void in the sense of baseball in terms of baseball broadcasting cuz to really understand and to appreciate where he's come from where Joe Buck has come from I strongly recommend read the book um, that that he wrote a few years ago, I think I believe it was called like One Lucky Bastard or something like that. Um, in which he talked about his upbringing. He talked about um, how his career was nearly ruined before it could really begin. And that this isn't someone who just comes across as a know-it-all, as a, you know, complete wise, wise behind, you know. And this is rather someone who takes his job very seriously and is very proud of what he does and I can't help but to have the love and admiration that I have for him and there I know I don't know there are so many people out there who, especially on on social media and wish that well he hates my team he I don't get it I don't get the the hate at all especially towards towards him i genuinely don't get it he is the epitome of greatness especially in this industry and one day i certainly hope to have the the chance and the, and, and the opportunity to be able to to do what he does god willing and and frankly he he is definitely someone who i would absolutely love to have a 15 20 minute conversation with just talking about broadcasting and being a radio broadcaster and a radio personality myself and so forth and and thinking about what that award means, you talk about the greats that have called the game. You know, you turn to people who have won the award, like you know Pat Summerall, the late Pat Summerall, um, and the same man in which that he took over for in two thousand two. Remember Pat Summerall? With, um, I believe he retired after the two thousand one um, NFL season, in which that his last game was calling Super Bowl thirty six, which ironically enough was the first Super Bowl of the Brady-Belichick era. Go figure. And the first Super Bowl that Joe Buck called was between the Eagles and, and, the, and the New England Patriots, Super Bowl thirty nine, in which that was the third title for the New England Patriots in four years to start the dynasty, to start the 21st century. 
And during the rest of the segment, I'm going to play a select a uh, couple of clips that are my personal favorite calls that he's done throughout his illustrious now Hall of Fame career as an NFL broadcaster. But I'm also going to integrate a couple of baseball calls that I really absolutely hold very near and dear to my heart. Now, the first clip was from 1996 in which it was the first year that Fox Sports had broadcasting rights of the World Series. This call was the final out of Game 6 of the 1996 World Series. Take a listen. That was the first World Series that Joe Buck had announced for Fox in 1996. Now, he has been behind the mic for some memorable moments in baseball, including this particular moment in 2004 that I know for sure that New England and Red Sox fans will never forget. No stolen base. That was Joe Buck on Fox Sports with the final out of the 2004 World Series between the Red Sox and the St. Louis Cardinals, in which the Red Sox won their first title in 86 years. Now, Joe Buck has been behind the mic for some unforgettable calls calling NFL action on Fox over the years. But there are a few and far in between that really has stood out in terms of being absolutely unforgettable. But this one in particular, I'm sure New England Patriot fans will never forget, especially considering the greatest comeback of all time. Super Bowl 51, Falcons, Patriots in overtime. Take it away. across and what an effort 
by James White, who's had himself a heck of a ball game. There was contact by Ricardo Allen, and yet he's out able to get across the goal line. What a game by the New England Patriots and Tom Brady. That was Joe Buck on Fox. Super Bowl 51, Patriots coming back from 28-3 down to beat the Atlanta Falcons. Now, this other favorite Joe Buck call that he's done on the NFL for Fox wasn't a Super Bowl winning drive, wasn't a game-winning touchdown drive, but rather one that actually got me giggling at the time, although Fox executive didn't really find it to be a laughing matter. But this one in particular brings back memories. Remember Vikings, Green Bay, 2004? Maybe this will help you jog your memory a little bit. The Vikings are not inside field goal range for Morton Anderson. disgusting act by Randy Moss and it's unfortunate that we had that on our air live that is disgusting by Randy Moss let's get back to the play Randy Moss I don't even think that was called in the huddle you see him start to the slant Al Harris jumps it he gives him the hand Dante Culpepper fortunately sees what Randy Moss is wanting to do and lays it (laughs) again that was Joe Buck on Fox calling the Minnesota Green Bay 2004 wildcard game in which Randy Moss famously went over to the back of the end zone near the goalpost and acted as if he was pulling his pants down to completely moon the Packer fans in Green Bay. So with that being said, those are just some of my favorite Joe Buck calls, both baseball and um, and as well as the NFL. Now, I will say this. I mean, I could do an entire show on just some of my favorite Joe Buck calls, but time won't allow it. But the fact of the matter is this. Joe Buck, congratulations on your induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in the broadcaster's wing and winning the Pete Rosell Award. Not only is it deserving, but you have Work your absolute rear end off to get better at what you do. And I, as a lifelong fan of yours, could not be more proud of you, of what you accomplished, and for you getting into the Hall of Fame as your dad has once earned his way into the Hall of Fame. And now you two will be forever be the first father and son duo to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame as a broadcaster. Congratulations, Joe Buck. You've earned it, my friend. Coming up next, do the Patriots have a shot in Seattle? Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. But I thought I'd take the time out there to share my thoughts with you on the Patriots-Seahawks Week 2 matchup. Coming up next on the Shukri Wright Show on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. This is Shukri Wright. You are listening to 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. 
Just read from radio streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app and globally on WMFO.org. This is Ron LaRussa. Join me Thursday mornings here on WMFO for Rock of Ages. We play the best rock from all eras, including classic rock from the 70s, rock and new wave from the 80s, alt rock from the 90s, and pop rock from the 2000s and today. Just the best rock from whenever on Rock of Ages, Thursday mornings here at 91.5 FM WMFO. Allison is perfect. I mean, she'd never tell you that. She's humble and perfect. She likes everyone. She even likes her untidy roommate's weird guinea pig. Allison, wait, are you texting and driving? Allison, no. That's the exact opposite of what I was just saying about you. Why, Allison? Why? Texting and driving makes good people look bad. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
Welcome back to the Shukri Wright Show on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford, Tuskegee, from radio streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app. We're going to talk Patriots as they are facing the Seattle Seahawks tomorrow night on Sunday Night Football on NBC, 8.20 p.m. Eastern Time kickoff. Listen, if you told me back in early March that this matchup wasn't going to feature Tom Brady, I probably wouldn't have believed you. But here we are. It's week two, and we are officially talking about an interesting matchup that will feature Cam Newton and Russell and Russell Wilson. Now, Coach Bill Belichick came out and said a couple of days ago that that he may very well be the most underrated quarterback in the in, in the NFL. In which that I actually agree with them. It's really all Russell Wilson right now in Seattle. Well, with no disrespect to DK Metcalf. In, 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 in any of the, uh, the op- options on offense. But the problem is is that Russell Wilson does not get the the respect and as well as the, the adulation that he deserves. And he has single-handedly at times carried the Seattle team when he had very little of a running game and as well as very little of um, in terms of pass options as well. But in terms of the matchup, I'm actually really fascinated to see how the Patriots are going to handle the game plan going into this game. Now, for example, the Patriots, when they run the ball, and they ran the ball quite quite a bit last week against Miami, you know, Cam Newton, he ran 15 times of 75 yards and a couple of touchdowns. But even though Sony Michelle was not much of a factor in this game, but I do think that Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick have figured out that, hey, you know what? We're going to be a team that's going to be physical. We're going to control the line of scrimmage up front with the offensive line and run the ball. And they did exactly just that. But I think the Patriots run game has an opportunity to create pressure, especially for Seattle's on front when you talk about the linebacking core that's that that features Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright, and Bruce Irvin, in, in as well. I don't fear LJ Collier and Benson Mayowa at all in terms of the defensive ends, in terms of the ability to be able to get pressure on Cam Newton. So I think that if Cam Newton wants to be able to drop back and pass, he should be able to with very little um, worry. But, but here's the thing. When the Patriots are going to pass the ball, this is something that I think that 
the Patriots are going to absolutely need to be wary of. That secondary. That secondary, especially with the new addition of Jamal Adams, arguably the best safety in the NFL right now, I wholeheartedly believe that this is something that Bill Belichick is going to have to game plan for and as well as take into account for corners like Shaquille Griffin and Quentin Dunbar and as well as Quandre Diggs. And for a guy like Jamal Adams, this is a guy who likes to play closer to the, to the line of scrimmage and so forth. This is where if Cam Newton can execute the play action, this is where the advantage with the, that the Patriots may actually have. I really wholeheartedly believe that if you are the New England Patriots and you're going into this game, this is going to be a test for the, the New England Patriots and especially for the Seattle Seahawks going into this game. And this is going to directly take me into final thoughts, which is brought to you by yours truly, Shukri Reto, 91.5 FM, WMFO in Medford. Now, on paper so far, you look at the 2020 Seahawks and the 2020 New England Patriots, both teams seem to be evenly matched. Now, when you talk about I got, I'll talk about Seattle, for example, in which that when they ran the ball last week, they only managed only 84 yards on 20 carries, and most of it was from Russell Wilson. And Carlos Hyde and Chris Carson were barely, barely a factor in that game last week. So I wholeheartedly believe that the Patriots, in terms of running the ball, should have a bit more success than they did versus Miami. And if they're able to run the ball, they should be able to, to be more of a threat. Now, passing, I do wholeheartedly believe that Russell Wilson is a better passer than Cam Newton. Debate me on it. Say what you will. But I wholeheartedly believe that he is still one of the best passers, the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And he proved that last week in a game against the Atlanta Falcons. And then on top of that, you have to also take into account that his mobility, his mobility still very good. And that for broken down plays on the field, this is a guy that that can um that, that, that can incorporate, you know, like new plays on the fly with his legs and so forth. Now, you talk about a guy who who is arguably his most re- reliable receiver, and that's Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett is a he's a speedy slot receiver. He can get down down the field as well as move the chain. But you talk about second year wideout DK Metcalf. He is a legitimate home run threat in the passing game. And I definitely think that for Seattle to to really attack this New England Patriots secondary, they are going to need to take some shots down the field. And that secondary for the New England Patriots still very much just like one of the best, if not the best, secondary unit in the NFL. So I definitely think that they are going to have their hands full in trying to contain Tyler Lockett as well as DJ Metcalf. But as well as for the front seven for the New England Patriots, that offensive line that consists of Dwayne Brown, Mike Iapati, Ethan Pokic, and in place of injured BJ Finney, Damian Lewis, and as well as Brandon Shell is improved. And they showed that last week. And you talk about for a team that struggles to create pressure in terms of the pass rush the Patriots are going to struggle against this offensive line I think that overall that the Patriots are going to hand their hands full versus the Seattle Seahawks team that yes this isn't a Legion of Boom anymore 
but they have absolutely done a terrific job of retooling on the fly, reconstructing that offensive line, and having that defense be respectable again. So I wholeheartedly believe that this could potentially be a shootout, and especially if Josh McDaniels is comfortable with opening the playbook for Cam Newton, and especially for Russell Wilson, in which that his completion percentage still off the charts, as evident by last week's game against the Atlanta Falcons, which he completed 31 of 35 passes and whatnot. So I wholeheartedly believe that the Patriots are going to lose a close one by a field goal, and I think they're going to lose 27 to 24. That'll be all for the Shooker Wright Show for this week. This is Shooker Wright. Thanks for tuning in to the Shooker Wright Show on 91.5 FM, WMFO in Medford. Look forward to talking to you again next week. Catch this on the podcast on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts slash Google Play, Spotify, and Anchor as well. I'll talk to you again next week. Take care, everybody. Enjoy. Stay safe and happy football week in college football and NFL. Take care. Peace.